Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that we're in the middle of our annual raffle, and tickets are just $50, and it really helps support all the wonderful work that we're doing. If you buy a ticket today, I'll send you a personal thank you letter and a little gift. It's really easy. Just go to www.ndgraffle.com. That's ndgraffle.com. I'll be ever so grateful to you. Now let's get started. So we have been working in our Kabbalah class on this idea of maintaining happiness. And I think that today, maintaining happiness is so much more important than ever before because, well, we're living in a world of which there's a lot of different distractions for happiness. So tonight, I want to continue. I was planning on going to something else tonight, but instead I'm going to continue the Kabbalistic secrets to maintaining happiness. Number one, we are depressed because of too much self-involvement and ego. It is very easy for someone who is focused on themselves to maintain depression. So there's a simple solution in Kabbalah to find someone more depressed than you and help them. Why does that work? Because we get depressed because we are too focused, because we're too stuck on ourselves. And as soon as we help someone else, then we get out of our self-centered focus and there's room for joy to come back in. What we don't realize is that we are pushing the joy away by being depressed. We're actually being passively non-joyous, which is depression. So perhaps in the past we've spoken about this lack of understanding that prevents us from feeling happy. If our perspective in life is incorrect, if our perspective in life is narrow, if it's limited, it leads to depression. It's a mistake to look at the world around us and relate only to the physical reality when ignoring a profoundly deeper dimension to our lives, to our world. A person who makes the mistake of ignoring the deeper dimension of this universe is unable to grasp that everything is for the good. And not just that it will be eventually good as we spoke about in last class, but that it's truly good and that even right now, whatever is happening to us is good. Without this perspective, it's very easy to get knocked into depression. So, we have to discuss the fact that everything that happens is for the good. That's number one. And then from there, last time we moved on and discussed what happens when a person understands that everything is for the good, but is still 
depressed because their heart is spiritually congested. Shut down. The heart is unable to emotionally feel what the intellect knows. Remember, we spoke about this, this convergence and this difficulty between the heart and the mind. We discussed how the problem is caused by the ego and the smug self-satisfaction, which can't be treated by deepening our understanding that everything is for the good. Our hearts don't feel what our minds understand. Instead, we need to deliver a crushing blow to the heart that deflates the ego. A congested heart conceals the soul, but a crushed, a broken heart is unclogged and enables the soul's light to shine. Can you believe it? Kabbalah says that the ideal state to be in, or the first step, is to have a broken heart. To be crushed is a good thing. That a, to be crushed, for the heart to be crushed by subjecting it to a deep and truthful personal accounting that demonstrates how unjustified our feelings of self-satisfaction are. This intense, introspective process leads us to cry and to feel pain from how far we've come from our purpose, from how far we've come from who we really are. This intense process allows us to truly, truly be the person that we want to be. Look at the world around us. Look at what's going on now. So many of us have been in this forward motion without thinking. They call it the rat race. We're constantly in this movement without thinking what's going to be. We don't have a moment to stop, to breathe, to take a breath. What happens as a result of that? We don't think of anything outside of ourselves. I remember when I was a teenager, I was sitting on the bus, having this meaning of life conversation with a friend of mine, teenager meaning of life conversations. And there was an African-American elderly gentleman that was sitting not far from us. And I guess he was listening into the conversation. So he, his cane was leaning against the seat. He picks up the cane in his hand and he kind of knocks me in the leg to get my attention. And he looks at me and he says, you want to know about life? I'll tell you about life. You're born, then you go to school. Why do you go to school? So you can go to more school. Why do you go to that school so you can go to high school? Why do you go to high school so you can go to college? Why do you go to college so you can get married? Why do you get married so you can have a family? Why do you have a family so they can do the same darn thing over again? Life is short, live it up. What happens to that perspective, what we miss in that perspective is that life is not short, live it up. 
we came into this world for a specific purpose. And that purpose is as important as being here. I'm going to even take a step further and say it's more important than being here. We're here because at some point, which was the day our soul was brought into this world, God said, the world cannot survive without you. At that moment, the world is unable to survive without you. There's something unique for you to do in this world. And without that, the world can survive. So by you being depressed, you're actually not hurting yourself. You're hurting the world because the world needs you. That's why your soul came into this world. And here you are being depressed and you are robbing the world of something extremely valuable that it needs and it's you. Why? Because you're thinking too much about yourself. It's this strange mix. Think about it for a second. You're thinking too much about yourself. As a result, you are robbing the world of yourself. So you are taking yourself away from its purpose, which means you are hoarding yourself and not allowing yourself to live. What happened? That, I believe, is the ultimate form of narcissism. Depression must be the ultimate form of narcissism. You have robbing the world so nobody else can enjoy you besides you. And even you don't enjoy you. Because who wants to live with a depressed person? There's only one problem here. The solution doesn't seem to make sense. The original problem was depression. And it's very possible that the treatment to depression is gonna cause more depression. So in other words, we first got advice on how to prevent depression. And then we discussed how destructive depression is. But now we're offering an anti-depression treatment that involves feeling depressed. We haven't found a solution yet. There's a fascinating medrash. Medrash is the homiletics of the Torah, written by the authors of the Talmud. It says that when a metal blade of an ax was invented, the forest feared it as an enemy. And the ax wisely pointed out, I can't cut you down on my own. I have to be connected to a wooden handle. And since we have to work together, what are you worried about? The wooden handle of a tree. The wooden handle is connected to the ax that's cutting down the wood. It's the ultimate synthesis. We have to work together. This is what the Midrash says. 
We have no choice. And I think that's a beautiful allegory for our lives, for who we are. We have to work together. Not just we, but we inside of me. Each of us inside of ourselves need to work in conjunction with ourselves. In other words, it takes wood to chop down wood. The same idea applies to the battle between Kedusha, between holiness, and Kalipa, which is evil, or literally the shell. Kalipa are elements of creation and in creation that conceal the holiness. And the way to overcome the Kalipa, the way to overcome the evil is to use the evil itself. I'm going to explain it in a second. Depression comes from klipa. It comes from evil. And it's therefore forbidden. Anything that comes from the evil side is forbidden. Depression is forbidden. It's not allowed. Can't be depressed. Yet there are situations in which the only way to overcome the klipa, the only way to overcome the evil and depression is by using the evil against itself. It's the equivalent of two negatives making a positive. Two negative numbers are multiplied by each other, and the answer is always a positive number. Being depressed about our depression gets us out of the depression. Feeling frustrated about our frustration gets us out of the frustration. So when you take a step back and you review your situation, you realize that the depression, the frustration, the anger, the lack of joy, they all stem from the ego. By using it against itself, you can become free of it. So there's no reason to worry that the self-examination of the issues with focusing on the depression are gonna make you depressed. The opposite is likely to happen. Feeling depressed is gonna shake us up and deliver us from feeling depressed. I'm gonna to explain to you how this works. So often in our lives, we have become accustomed to fixing the problem by avoiding it. That's the easiest thing. It's too difficult. It's too deep. It's too complicated to actually deal with head on. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna avoid it. I'm gonna push it away because it doesn't make me feel good. It's hard. Life is difficult. What Kabbalah wants us to do is face it head on. Say the thing. Deal with it. Don't live in another universe. Don't live in a parallel universe. That's not going to help you. Live with it in it. Exist wholeheartedly in the world that you are. Say it. Remind yourself. 
Whatever situation you're in, is it rough? Just say it over and over again. Oh, but you're going to get depressed. It's so sad to say it over again because it's so difficult. Yeah, that's right. But what you're doing is you're creating a sense of realism in your life instead of hiding from the reality, which is so easy and so often what people do. But here's the thing. It's not instant oatmeal. The, the transition from depression to joy, it's not instant. What do we need? There's another step that Kabbalah says that you need, and that is mirirut, bitterness. What is the difference between being bitter and being depressed? Please. Um, being depressed is more stuff. Mirirut is more movement. So... What you're saying, if I can para paraphrase you, being depressed is passive, being bitter is active. Yeah, yeah. Which transforms to happy. That's right. Depression means feeling weighed down. Depression means full of despair. And depression, most of all, it lacks the will to make a change in life. Bitterness is the feeling that despite how bad things seem, I want to change. I want to improve. I want to advance my life. There's something so amazing and has been the secret of the Jewish people, I believe, since the beginning. And that is the idea of hope. No matter how bad things have been, there's always been an innate hope, a desire that we're gonna be in a better world, that the world cannot remain the way it is. And it's not just a passive desire. Like people say, oh, I wish my life was better. I wish this was great. No, it's an active. I am gonna do what I can do to make my life and the lives of those around me a little better. I'm not going to wait for someone else to do it. It's not someone else's job. It's my job to do what I can to make my life and the lives of those around me better. So on a deeper level, the pain felt in depression is about me. I am lacking. I am failing. The I is the main point. The pain felt in bitterness and bitterness relates to a blemish in our relationship with God. So depression brings us down and bitterness, and bitterness leads us to change. That's the difference. Depression brings us down. Bitterness leads us to change. We need to replace our feelings of depression with our feelings of bitterness. Instead of being passive, like there's nothing I can do. Why do we become passive because there's nothing I can do? Because we focus on the things that we can't control. If you focus on the things you can't control, well, guess what? You'll be out of control. But if you focus on the things that you can control, then you're going to remain in control. It's that amazing. When you look at a situation, you have to ask yourself the following question. Take a piece of paper. And I want you to take 
two vertical lines down of the third of the paper. Do I need to describe this to you? I will describe it to you by using my own piece of paper. Thank you. Just like this, two vertical lines. The first column, you're gonna write my business. The middle column, you're gonna write none of my business. And the third column, you're gonna write God's business. My friends, every single thing in your life will fit in one of these three columns. Make sure you put it in the right column. Every single thing in your life is going to fit in one of these three columns. You have to, the key, the secret, the secret to success is making sure you know which column it fits in. Let's, let's take an example. Where's depression? None of my business. Is it? Well, no, it's not your business. It's my business, but God. I would say it's my, it's my business. You just have to acknowledge it. It's my business to acknowledge the fact that I'm depressed. Okay. You see how that works? Mm -hmm. It's my business to acknowledge the fact that I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. Give me something else. Give me another example. I don't know what's, what's going on now with the, with the virus. Okay, coronavirus, where is it? That's God's business. God's business, God's business. So what's, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Well, we, we decide, you know, one meter away, it's in my business, you know, how do we feel about it? You know, and then... Uh, but if, if, if what we... Is, what, what, what you is just it put it in God's business. So it's not my business and it's not none of my business. So where is it? It's in God's business. So what do I do about it? You pray and keep a positive attitude. Exactly. So our job in this situation that's going on in the world now is to pray and to keep a positive attitude because it's God's business. The world needs our prayer. The world needs our good vibes more than ever before. The world does not need our fear-mongering. We have enough of that. But from us, the world needs prayer. The world needs good vibes, good attitude, good feelings. That's God's business. Mm. Give me something else. When will I um, get that job? When will I get that job? My business, none of my business, or God's business? There's an element of it that we steps that I should take. So my business is, so my business would say, get a job. Yeah, that choice. When will I get my job is God's business. See, what's amazing is we often ask the question in a way. So if I wrote, when will I get a job in my business, I'm going to get depressed. But I, if I write, get a job, it's an active motion. Get a job. When will I get the job? God's business. So what do I do? It's very simple. I go out, get work as hard as I can to get my CV out, and then I pray but, but, and have a positive attitude because at the end it really is God's business. And the same thing with depression should apply because also if you if you pray or if you do 
got uh, work uh, about that. Absolutely. You know, then you, you, you also get out of depression. What's interesting is we often phrase it a certain way because our world has conditioned us to phrase our lives a certain way. Oh yeah, I am sad. I am sad. No, right now I happen to be in a state of sadness. Is it my business, none of my business, or God's business? My business. I've got a good one coming from Mark here. Traffic. Where does it fit? That's God's business. No, it's none of my business. Oh, it's none of my business. It's none of my business. But just a minute, which brings me to my question. How is none of my business and God's business different? There are, they're very different. <laughs> Finding a vaccine for Corona. Mm -hmm. Or you can call it God's business. God's right? business. Yeah. And it's not in my business. And not in my business. Okay, it let's, let's find a better one. Um, no, but tra traffic is a good example. What? Traffic is it's, it's Traffic, a good I think, is a good example. No, no, many yeah. people have said, I, I, I have myself, many times have said, okay, handle it. And then all I did was did my job of being happy. Yeah, that's it. And then that's the traffic business. opened up. The, the Our is job hard. is to, so traffic is, so what you said is uh, the act of motion would be my mental and emotional state while sitting in traffic. Mm -hmm. My business. Yeah, exactly. The my traffic, yeah. none of my business. Yeah. The why behind the traffic, God's business. Mm -hmm. So the way you the way you form it. So but so often we put the none of my business and the God's business to my business, and we get depressed. There's so many things in our lives that we just simply can't control. And that's where that narcissism comes in. Exactly. Yeah. There's things that we just simply can't control. And we have to understand that. And all it takes is a reframing. Just reframe it. If you can't control it, if someone says, I'm out of control, what does that mean, I'm out of control? I never understood what does that mean. I'm out of control. You, you don't have control of yourself? We should put you in an institution. We can institutionalize you with, uh, with the tight, what do they call it, the restraints, if you, you're out of control. It's a state of victimization, but you've abducted your, your ability to choose. Exactly. So Advocated we spoke about that. We spoke about this last <laughs> class, is that what we really have that belongs to us, that all that belongs to us is our choice, our ability to have free choice. That's all that belongs to us. Everything else doesn't belong to us. So if that's all that belongs to us, our ability to choose, why would I want to give it up to be out of control? Why would I not want to have that ability to choose at all times? It's actually against the Torah to put yourself in a situation where you don't have the ability to choose. Ah, hold on a second. But so many things happened to me. I didn't choose the state choose, I'm in. No, no, no. You, you're the outside world, you don't choose, but your, your state, you're always choosing. Thank you. It's not the choices that we choose, it's the attitude. Mm -hmm. Your response. The response that we choose. It's interesting, the word responsibility. Response, my ability to respond. Responsibility. And creatively, as opposed to I'm enslaved to that, therefore, reaction, reaction, which is based on some kind of internal data in your unconscious. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. We have a problem in our society. We have an eye disease. I don't mean an eye disease. I mean a capital I disease. In the English language, there's only one letter that's a word. That's I. A, but it's capitalized, the I. The A is not capitalized.
capitalized, mm. unless it's the beginning of the sentence or a paragraph. The I is always capitalized. When I look at an English book, all I see is the I's. And if you want, let's say you decided one day that you want to have a humble day. You want to practice humility. And you're going to go on your computer, you're going to start typing your emails, and you're going to have only lowercase i's. What happens in your email when you press spacebar after you do an i is lowercase? Auto capitalization. That is our society. You want to be a little humble? I will show you what humility looks like. I will show you. Auto capitalization. But the thing is, is that, I mean, myself, it's interesting because I think about it as linguistic, but I think about me as being more selfish, but I not necessarily being so selfish because exactly. there's awareness there. Interesting. But, but, it, but it is what you, but, but I understand the spirit of what you're saying. But because when I think about ani, you know what I mean? I mean I, I, what about I, the word anochi, which is the first word of the Ten Commandments, which means I, but it doesn't really mean I. Mm -hmm. Anochi. It's Egyptian. There's a lot of connotation to that word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the fact that even the word ani is not one singular letter that's capitalized. Mm -hmm. no, 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 it is true. It is true. But the thing is, is still, I still, I still think, I still, the energy of the word me is so much more selfish. Absolutely. It's just interesting. In, yeah. yeah. I could see that. But you can very easily turn me into we. Well, you could. You can just turn, that, turn the M around to W. Yeah. But the thing is, it's, al it's almost the opposite of we, actually, because, because it isn't. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but the, it's, the it's point is, is that I, if you turn it around, it's still I. Yeah. Me, if you turn it around, it becomes we. Yeah. So there's a way to transform the me into the we, but the I, you turn it around as many times as you want. And it's yeah. still I. At the same time, all, all of that which I bring has to start with myself. Just like you, th you think about our state of consciousness. Something happens, I'm in, I'm in a traffic jam or the bank wants my house or whatever. I am still free. Absolutely. Right? So the thing is, so it still is coming from me first in my own sphere of existence. The outside world has to do the outside world thing. I'll tell you one of my favorite stories. It's the story of Rabbi Shner Zaman of Liadi, who was known as the Alter Rebbe. One of his students, a chassid, the students of, of the Rebbes were called chassidim. One of his students was rich, wealthy man. He was generous. And he lost everything. And he fell into heavy debt. He traveled to the Alter Rebbe, to Rabbi Schneer Zalman, and he starts crying, crying. One of the hardest things to see is a grown man cry. He's crying to him about his experiences, what's happened to him in his life. And he says to the Rebbe, I don't know what I'm gonna do about all of the tzedakah obligations that I committed to. I committed to a tremendous amount of charity this year. And I don't want to go back on my obligations, but I, haven't, I don't have anything. The author ever looks at him and he says, everything you told me so far is about what you need. Have you given any thought about what you're needed for? With a shock, the chassid heard the Rebbe's words and realized his mistake. His sorrow wasn't for the sake of heaven. His charity pledges were driven by his ego's need for honor. He was more bothered 
by his blemished reputation than what would happen to the poor people who needed the charity. When he realized this, he fainted on the spot. When he came to, he resolved to make some changes and to work to internalize that message. He stayed with Rabbi Schneir Zaman, with the Alter Rebbe, spending time in deep contemplation and study. And he led a life of joy and self-improvement. And a few weeks later, he received the Alter Rebbe's blessing to return into his trading of business and he regained his riches. Ask not what you need, ask what you're needed for. Something fascinating, I don't want to say fascinating, strange happened this week. Toilet paper. I don't really understand what happened this week with the obsession with toilet paper. I mean, if I had to go into quarantine for two weeks, I could think of so many other things that would be important to me other than toilet paper. Yet, the world went and this frenzy, it wasn't just Montreal, everywhere. I mean, you go down grocery store aisles, they're full of everything else besides toilet paper. To the point where I called my, oh, so my wife called me and she said, I'm in the store, I'm buying toilet paper. So I said, why are you buying toilet paper? We have toilet paper. She said, I don't know, everyone else is buying toilet paper. Maybe I'm missing something. I saw this amazing uh, meme, you know, on, on, on social media. And it said, uh, it, was, it had a picture of an empty grocery store aisle where there was soap. There was no soap left. And it said on the bottom, if you want coronavirus to stop, other people have to wash their hands too. The, the fear, the fear becomes so selfish See, that you don't realize. And, and that's really that me energy though. That is that's the that's me the energy. Serious. So I think that the first, I mean, so many elements of this class have to be taken to heart. But maybe what has to come out of this class tonight is we have to ask a profound question. Stop asking what I need and start asking what am I needed for. What I need, all of a sudden you start buying more toilet paper than you're ever going to need <laughs> for a year. And need always often with, with invariably will come from a feeling of lack. Absolutely. And a feeling of lack will always be diametrically opposed to your state of Hashemness because Hashem is infinite. So when you get into lack, you couldn't be further away from your godliness. Perfect example. Yeah. So we have to stop asking what we need and start asking what am I needed for? Let's put it on our on our above our beds and put it uh, in our heads and put it on our foreheads and put it in, on, on our bags. We have to start and asking what, the real questions. And what we have to give, you know? It's interesting because I might have to close down my clinic, but I still have nano water that I can get. <laughs> what do I have to give? There's a, great, there, there's a great question. What do I have to give? We all have something that we can give. What do I have to give? Now, let's go back into bitterness. In the past, perhaps when we've discussed this idea of depression or depressing thoughts, we spoke about the idea of pushing them off by confronting them at a later, at a prearranged time. But here, the situation is different. If I'm depressed, there's no need to wait 
pushing off depressing thoughts relates to depression over spiritual matters. However, when we feel depressed about material things, and it's hard to internalize the fact that everything is for the good, now is the time for a spiritual accounting that shakes our core and moves us to bitterness. In this way, the depression doesn't lead to despair. Instead, the depression can be a catalyst that motivates us into action. Here is a key component to all this. We said it before, but I want to just say it again so you remember. We have to look at our lives and think about all the things we do that are passive and change them into actions. Choice. Choice. We have to make that switch from things in our lives that are passive to things in our lives that are active. I don't, not saying stop binge watching Netflix. Just don't do it passively. I'm not saying let go of all the things that you're doing. I just want you to make a, a, a shift. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, where the heck did 10 hours go because I was watching that season of whatever I was watching. Say, no, no, I, you can still go with the I. For now, step one, I am gonna watch one episode. No, you know what? I know I'm not gonna be able to watch one episode. I'm gonna watch three episodes tonight, actively. Each episode is 40 minutes, 40 times three is 120. I'm taking two hours now and I'm gonna watch it because I can. Okay, is it the right thing for me to do? The wrong thing to do? I don't know, it's what I'm doing right now, but doing it actively. So even in our passive things, which I believe watching television is the most passive thing that I could think of right now. Even in our passivity, we need to be active about it. It's not just, oh my gosh, where did 10 hours go? I guarantee you, you're gonna feel bad after the two hours anyway, because we always do. But at least you did it actively. You, you can't expect to make a change as a flip overnight. You can't just say, okay, I'm gonna stop watching. No, there's a joy that people get. I don't, I don't really understand it, but there's a joy that people get from watching these shows. So what I'm saying is, I'm not taking away the show from you. Just turn it into an active experience. Instead of, I don't know how much time people must spend flipping through whatever the Netflix or the Amazon Prime or whatever else they're doing to find whatever they're gonna watch. So instead of, Flipping through, oh, what am I going to watch? Become active about it. I don't know what you would do. Maybe see uh, what are the most inspirational uh, videos on, uh, on Netflix right now. Instead of just doing it, it fine. Depends, it depends what you're watching, if it makes it active or not. That's what okay. If you're watching something that is like completely shallow, yeah, there's, it could there, be. there's more. Or if you watch a documentary about something that's going to inspire you, to do some change in your community, wherever it, it becomes, it becomes already active because of the content. Yeah, it's a good point. Mm -hmm. So there's a story told about a group of yeshiva students during the height of communism in the former Soviet Union. They were secretly learning in a cellar with their teacher, with their master, with their rabbi. And they were discussing what needed improvement in their spiritual lives 
when the child who was on the lookout duty suddenly signaled that the secret police were approaching. Instantly, they all hid. Once the danger had passed, the rabbi looks at them and says, why did you all flee so fast? They said they had been afraid for their lives. So the rabbi says, if you know how to flee when you think your lives are in danger, why did you just sit there and cry over your spiritual states instead of getting up and making the change? When something truly hurts us, when something truly bothers us, not just for our ego, but we spring into action and we make the change because it truly bothers us. When material things depress us, even though we know intellectually that it's all for the good, when we can't break free of depression's heaviness, when we can't break free and we can't find the joy, it's time for a self-assessment regarding the state of our spiritual lives. And once we see that our spiritual state is not as great as we imagined it to be, maybe even less healthy and more worse off than our physical state, our material concerns suddenly seem far less irrelevant. We could care less about them. Imagine a person who's depressed because he owes the grocery store $1,000. As soon as he remembers that he owes the bank $100,000, his debt to the store becomes a smaller issue and bothers him less. So the real problem becomes the larger debt in the bank. So the same thing is like this. We can be depressed about our bigger problems, what is that? Our spiritual state of affairs. We have to say to ourselves, oh, but that physical thing, what is that? Now my spiritual state, that's the $100,000 in the bank. Tell your physical problems how much greater are your spiritual problems. The true assessment of the state of our spiritual life and how far we are from God. The emphasis is on the far from God and not on the I. Will pull us out of the mud and get us working to make changes in our lives. After that, it's a we're already in a state of joy because we're in a state of movement and automatically being, a, being in a state of movement puts us in a state of joy. The fact that a person fell to the lowest levels doesn't have to hinder the happiness. We have two souls. We have a godly soul and we have an animal soul. Our fall, regardless of how far or low we may have fallen and what negative things we did, comes entirely from the animal soul. And even at our lowest points, we still have our godly soul. 
Granted, it was in a state of exile when we sinned, but it was nevertheless always there. And now we've acknowledged from our depression that we are in the process of making changes that lead us to joy. We can free the godly soul from its exile because we have this other soul within us that becomes dormant during the state of depression because there's no space for it. Do you know why? Because our animal is taking over our entire being. Depression is the animal taking over every part of us. And so there's no space for spirituality. There's no space for anything but the I, 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 because that's what depression is all about. So, here's how it goes. Our physical beings are a vessel. If the vessel is filled with junk, there's no space for good stuff. So what do we do? We empty the vessel. And then we can fill it up with good things. But if it's overflowing with I, 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 then it's depressed. We have to empty the vessel to fill it up. You want a big blessing in your life? You need a lot of space. If your life is filled with everything but it, what do you expect? There's no place. You're saying, oh, well, my life is terrible. Of course, there's no space for anything good in your life. Empty the junk. Clean out the closet. Disinfect. Move. Move. <laughs> Disinfect. Get rid of it. But it's all movement. It's all movement. Get it's rid of care. the junk. Yeah. That's it. It's that simple. This is what Kabbalah wants us to do. Kabbalah wants us to close our eyes for a moment and think, do you know there's a part of me inside of me, not I, the part inside of me that is part of God. There's a piece of God inside of me. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's a great God that's so much greater than my iPhone, even though I think it's God. And so much greater than my dollar bill, even though on my dollar bill it says, in God we trust. <laughs> that's the American dollar bill. It's so much greater than so many other things in my life. And that piece of God within me, God chose to put that within me, And I have it. It's mine. And that doesn't make me happy. That doesn't fill me up with joy. I am ever connected. No matter how far I go, no matter what I do in my life, no matter what happens, I am connected to God. It's like a prince, the soul. And the body is like a prison. There's a prince in prison. Think about it for a second. It should blow you away every time you think about it. It's never stopped blowing you, you away. You have a Me. prince 
in prison. When your prince is freed, it will return to your father's home. Could you imagine a prince in prison being freed? The joy the king will have? The joy is more incredible. The joy is more immense. And even though the body and the animal soul remain unchanged, there's no guarantee that they will change anytime soon. It doesn't interfere with our joy. Our happiness is due to the godly soul's freedom from the prison and from the exile that it was being held. We can all reach such a level of clarity about how important and how precious is our godly soul that it's only allowed to influence us. This should be our attitude whenever we do anything in an act of motion. Any kind of action becomes an action that leads us towards goodness, that leads us towards our godly soul, that leads us towards connection. Every mitzvah becomes a connector. That's the idea. It's connecting our godly soul with its source. That's the point of having mitzvahs. There's 613 ways of connecting. Mitzvah comes from the word savta in Hebrew, which is connection. Savta. It's just connection. A mitzvah is a connector. And even though we know that the body and the animal soul are still there, and in which direction the body and the animal soul wish to go, this doesn't need to depress us. After all, I didn't create them. I didn't create my body. I didn't create my animal soul. I didn't decide to have a body that's attracted to pleasures and that's attracted to negative things. It was God's idea. God's business. Yeah. It's part of God's plan. And I think this helps us appreciate and helps us transform our personal problem which essentially is, if I can use Kabbalistic terms, is the animal soul is always the solo performer into a problem that we share with the creator. God, it's your business. This is the way you made me. I can't help it. I mean, I can do what I can do. I'm gonna do what I can do, but that's my business. I'll keep my business in my business. And there's a bunch of stuff that's your business, like how you made me. And you got to take care of that. And that's why Kabbalah says that when we put in a pinky, God, God gives us a hand. It has to start with our putting in a pinky. And then God gives us a hand. But it has to start with our action. It has to because God loves us so much we get free will. We get free will to ignore God all, all, all our whole Absolutely. life. Absolutely. That's, that's what love. That's what yeah. free will is. Yeah. That's what unconditional love yeah. is. Yeah. We have free will to not listen to God. Yeah. It's okay. I love that example you gave, I think it was 2012, when, uh, of, the, of the table walking away from the table maker. Yes. I love that example. <laughs> it's, 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 exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. I forgot about that example. I, I remember I, I was in the middle of that example. class. 
Let's imagine, I'll tell you what it was. I gave a class uh, how many years ago? 10 years ago or so, eight years ago. And I was saying that, imagine somebody spends, I don't know, a, a carpenter, a really professional carpenter. How much time do they spend making a table? I mean, they take a piece of wood and they fashion and they form it and they make the little engravings and they make the nice legs. You know, a real wood, not this garbage that we get. You know, the real carpenters, the old fashioned wood formers. I mean, some of the stuff is incredible. You see it on, on, online. Some of the stuff they make is unreal. It's unreal, handmade. And then when the guy's done, the table says, bye. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for making me. I'll go. Okay. Wait, uh, I just made you. No, you didn't. I don't believe you. I didn't see you make me. <laughs> I don't believe you. Well, what do you mean? Uh, <laughs> I just spent like years working on you. No, I didn't. Free world, good life, gotta live it up. I'm going to Jamaica. That's the way, that's our relationship with God. We have this ability. That is absolute free choice. We can turn to our carpenter and say, you never made me. Or we can do the opposite. We can turn to our carpenter and say, but that's how you made me. Thank you for making me, but also, but you also made me. You're my creator. You're my creator. And, and the fact that I have all these desires and things that are maybe not good, it's because that's the way you made me. Now, I have my business. I still have to do what I have to do. But you made my nature. So you got to do what you have to do. You have to help me out over here. I can't do this alone. I'm not in this world alone. There's my job, I'll do my job, but it's a pinky's worth, what I do. But then you gotta give me a hand. It's a deal, it's a deal between the carpenter and the, and the table. It's what it is, I'm the table, I can do what I can do, but you gotta do the rest. And when we create this connection, we change our state. We're not in this world alone. We are not a soul that came into this world alone. We are here together. And God created us this way. And God, everything that's going on in our lives was a creation by God. There's a higher power. And when we see life tainted by our ego, we're always at risk of depression. When we put ourselves in the center of everything, then the constant feeling is I lack, and I am this, and I'm not close enough to God, and I did this, and I'm gonna do this, and I could do this, and I will do this, and I should do this. But by approaching all of our problems and our challenges collectively with God as our partner, it's so much easier to rise above the difficulties it's so much easier to rise above the depression. God made things this way because God wanted the soul to experience this concept called Yerida Litzorech Aliyah, descent for the sake of ascent. To bend Yerida Litzorech Aliyah, descent for the sake of ascent, bending your knees to jump. 
Why can't you jump without bending your knees? You need to bend your knees to jump. So the same is, there's nothing to be, pressed, to be depressed about. That's how it is. You can't change the rules of the game. You gotta bend your knees to jump. I've never seen anyone jump without bending their knees. It's impossible. What we can do is play by the rules that meet the soul's needs by letting it express itself physically, by doing actions, by doing savta, by doing mitzvot, by connecting to a higher power. So we have a choice. We can take a look at that, that piece of God and we can let that little light, that little spark kind of slowly become an ember. Because over time, if we don't light it up, if we don't inspire it, then it becomes an ember. Or we can light it up and we can connect it to its higher purpose and then we're not alone. Fanning a flame is this outward doing. Thing. Absolutely. Fan that spiritual flame. I know I speak in metaphor, but I think you get it. You understand what I'm saying here? That's my thought for tonight. Questions? Comments? Can you... Can you um... Uh, distinguish really none of my business and God's business, how sure. it's different. Because I myself really... Um... I'll, I'll give you the best example that I can give. So I'm doing a, a documentary now. And part of the documentary that I'm doing is I'm going around and I'm interviewing couples that are married 60 years plus to find out the secrets of relationships. So I'm sitting within a couple they're married 64 years. You can imagine, they're not spring chickens. And I, so, I, so it's always, the beginning of the conversation is always a joke. Like, uh, you know, like, so what's your secret of being married a long time? And you know, you get the joke, like, you know, one guy says to me, oh, our marriage has been like two days. Two days, it's so beautiful, 60 years, like two days, like Yom Kippur and Shabbat. <laughs> so, you know, so you get all the jokes, but finally you want to get like, it takes time to get down to the, to, to, to the, to the meat, you know, what, what's really going on. So this one couple, finally she says, she says, I'll tell you the secret. When we first got married, we decided that all of the big decisions in our lives are going to be his, and all of the small decisions in our lives will be mine. So I said, okay, what's an example of a big decision and a small decision? So I said, well, um, climate change, that's a big one. That belongs to him. Who's going to be prime minister? That's a huge decision. That belongs to my husband. Where we're going to live, it's small. That belongs to me. Where the kids are going to go to school, that's small. It belongs to me. So all the big decisions my husband makes, and all the small decisions I make. And I think what she said is exactly what the difference between none of my business and, and God's business is. Tell me, what can you do about it? If there's nothing you can do about it, it's none of your business. But then, but then uh, de facto, it has to be a business. So the difference between none of my business and God's business is how you word it. 
You can, very often we are conditioned to word it in a way that it's my business. So step, a step above my business would be just none of my business. To break it if down. there's nothing you can do right. about it, just, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe what's going on with climate change. It's getting out of victimization. I'm getting, yeah. I, I'm, I'm getting depressed over climate change. People, people get depressed. So, so what are you going to do about it? There's nothing you can do about it. So it's none of your business. Really, it's God's business, but it takes time to get it into the really, God's absolutely. business. It's getting out of victimization. Absolutely. So just getting out of the victimization of the elements of the world is already a step. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do about Corona? What am I going to do about it? I got to do something. No, there's nothing you can, I mean, yes, there is. There's things you can do about it. Believe me, I can, I can put a whole list of things you can do that are going to be in all three of these columns. The problem is to make sure that the stuff that's in column two, none of my business, that it's really none of your business. I mean, unless you're in the medical field, which I don't think anyone is, is in the science, the medical science field that's creating vaccines for anything. I mean, there's no way you're not making, you're not finding a vaccine for Corona tomorrow. Well, I, I, and I don't want to, this is really off topic, but I think Chinese medicine is more effective than... Uh... Well, whatever it is, <laughs> I'm saying, but whatever it is, and, and unless there's something you can do about yeah. it, just put it in the under my business. Yeah. No, but see, let, 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 I'll, look at, uh, I'll use this example for myself. What I did was I, I consulted a lot of acupuncture with different forms. I know what its nature is. I know what people are doing to treat it. I know, say, this kind of patient I would use that way. This kind of patient I would use that way. I have a thousand other cases of, of flu that I've treated. And so I've done my business stuff. Now the rest, people have to come to me. I can't, I can't make for company. And also, ultimately, Hashem is doing all the healing. That's I'm right. doing the inspiration that's part. Right. The thing is, I mean, that's how I, that's how I approach We've it. We've become the conduit. Yeah. That's my business. None of my business could be what I can't do. And Hashem's business is yeah. do the healing. Yeah. Uh, Mark says, kinetic energy potential is an imposing brief limit, a briefer a limit. I have a question. Sure. You were talking about the, the vessel that is uh, full of uh, junk and you have to empty it. Yes. So how do you empty it? Do, do you, it's, it's really, you replace or by holy things or you empty it and then, then I'll, I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the, the Kabbalistic principle for emptying mm -hmm. the vessel. And I hope somebody makes a million dollars off this because you can call it the Kabbalah diet. The problem with majority of the, the, those fast diets that people have for weight loss is that it's removing something from your life. But what happens when you stop, I don't know, binging, you, you're, you're a sugarholic and you cut out sugar. You say, I'm cutting out sugar for 30 days. What happens on the 31st day? You binge the sugar and you gain back all the weight plus five pounds. The Kabbalistic idea is iskafia isakfa. Iskafia means like this. You, 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 you abstain. You abstain meaning you empty the vessel. I'll give you a practical example. Somebody who is a, I'm using an extreme example, obviously. Somebody who is a gambling addict. The first thing to do is you can't fix a gambling addiction when you're in the casino. You have to leave the casino. But that's not enough. Because if you just leave the casino, you're going to find something else. You, the first thing you want to do to stop smoking is get rid of the cigarettes. 
You can't have cigarettes in your pocket and expect that you're going to stop smoking. You can't have alcohol in the cupboard and expect that you're going to stop drinking. You can't have whatever it is. You have to first abstain. But the next thing is isabcha, transformation. You have to transform that, which means the action of smoking is an action there smoking. There's an action there of gambling. It's feeding a certain desire that a person has that has to be transformed. That actual thing has to be transformed. We can actually do a whole class just on this process of abstaining and transforming and how to go through the process of abstaining and go through the process of transforming. Because it's, it's an amazing process, Kabbalistically, of how to take that same energy and use it for something else. And that is what creates that emptying of the vessel and filling it up with blessing. That was my 30 second answer, but there's like but I guess, an yeah. hour answer. But, but I think to a certain degree, even taking a certain amount out of this call of the, the mind, this is called putting it to shem, is a big emptying. It's a huge emptying, but, yeah. that's a, but you may not be able to just do that. You may have to put it the none of my business column may have to be full for a while before you put it into the God's business. Right. But the thing is, is as you move things over, there's some space in order to make free will choices. That's right. Yeah. But it's about like, you know, I can imagine if you're real with yourself and you took this, just if you took this exercise home with you and you just started looking at everything in your life and you put them in different columns. If you're really real with yourself, you're going to see a lot of it is in my business. Mm -hmm. So just looking at all the my business stuff and just going through the process of putting it into none of my business is already, is already an incredible process. Sure. And then the reminding of yourself because automatically you're going to bring everything right back. Which of is course. Remind, remind, remind no, 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 no. That's not my business. Yeah. That's not my business. I'm sorry. My mom's emotions are not my business. That's her, that's her business. My ex's issues are not my business. And actually thinking that your mom's uh, problem with what you said or what you did is your business is so narcissistic because it's so selfish. You cannot that is right. have somebody else's experience and they can't experience something the way you want them to. That's right. Our parents often want to That's that right. <laughs> the person who, who, who gave you the finger and, and cut you off is not your business. How could it be? It's not your business. Okay, it could be that some of us are very emotionally aware and we pick up on other people's emotions. Stop doing that. It's not your business. The other thing too is when, when we spend, at least for me, when, when we spend time, a lot of time in meditation, we get to know our, our own soul and our own. So when there's something else that isn't mine, we well, can recognize that contrast. Eventually it's about knowing the godly soul. But that takes time. That's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. But you do want to get to know the godly soul. You want to let that godly spark shine within you. Mm -hmm. But that's a process that's going to happen over time. Mm -hmm. It's not a simple process. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Questions from people who are in quarantine, <laughs> self-imposed? <laughs> it's all coming from the people not in quarantine. But any, anyone who's self-imposed quarantine over here? What else? You can write it if you want also. You don't have to say it if you don't want to unmute yourself. But you can unmute yourself and say it as well. It's all good for me. I think this would be interesting to have a class on transformation. Sure. Transformation. We, we can do a future Kabbalah class on, uh, mm. on Hiskafia and Hisabcha. Oh, Perry, what's going on? What, what's your question? I've been unmuted. 
okay. uh, question, answers, um, or both? Yes. Someone who knows a little bit about depression, I can say, and so we agree on the on one book that we both have on our bookshelves, um, Man's Search for Meaning, yes. Dr. Victor Frankl. His, uh, he, you know, he talks about, he, he mentioned, in the first part of the book, just for anybody who doesn't know it, is about his experiences in, in, the, in the concentration camps, including Auschwitz. He was an Austrian uh, Jewish psychiatrist who was imprisoned. Anyway, he said those who, those who had a better chance of survival had a purpose, whether they're religious, religious Jews, Christians, etc., whether they were, had a political reason, they were committed communists, whatever. Those who had a purpose, and he was basically quoting Nietzsche, saying that when you have a why, when you have a why, you can almost you can surmount any how. So it's he also it also comment was that he also realized when he was they were doing experiments on him in, in Auschwitz when he was on he realized that there's nothing he can do about the situation except his change his point of view of what was happening or his attitude and I think that his, was his attitude he said he said. You are, you are affecting my body, but you are not reaching inside. The Nazis were affecting his body, but they were not reaching inside his mind. He had control over his mind. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm paraphrasing very poorly. No, but but that's what he said, and and that was was amazing. I mean, he he gave examples. Frankel gave examples about people, prisoners in Auschwitz, giving away their rations, their piece of bread, just to have a sense of purpose and dignity, to have that choice. And just the fact that they had that choice. If you have not read Man's Search for Meaning, I highly recommend it. And if you have read Man's Search for Meaning, I recommend you read a follow-up. He has many books, but he has a book that is about 120 pages. It's called The Will to Meaning, where he actually explains the fundamentals of logotherapy. And that was the whole point, logotherapy, to find your logo to find your purpose, who you are. And a, a, a shameless plug, I'm gonna be starting right after Passover, a, a very special four week course called Finding Meaning, which I'm going to explain. It's gonna be a synthesis between the works of Viktor Frankl and Kabbalah. And it's only gonna be open for 15 students uh, for a number of reasons. And in this, we're all gonna create meaning maps of our lives. So it's going to be a four week course right after Pesach. It's already on, it's already on the website and, uh, and uh, it's there you can, you can see all the information about it. And th this, I've gotten recently very into the works of Viktor Frankl and I think that a lot of his work is under, underused. I mean, and in in the, obviously in the field of psychology, it's very much used, but I think in general, it's not something. And, and we need this today more than ever. And what he was able to, to touch on is so amazing. I'll tell you one little story. It has nothing to do with Victor Frankl, but it reminds me, as Perry was, was making his, his comment, one of my favorite stories is Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, who was the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, was, um, at the end of his life, he was in a wheelchair. And he was in a wheelchair because he went through a tremendous amount of beatings in prison in communism, the former Soviet Union. He was put in prison because he had created an underground network of schools and synagogues and mikvahs and baking matzahs and defied the communism. 
during and, and kept Judaism alive in the former Soviet Union. During one of the interrogations, the interrogator walks in with a gun, a pistol. And he says to him in a joking way, he says, my rabbi, this toy that I have in my hand has made many a man speak. So Rabbi Yosef Yisach looked at him with a stern face and said, to a man that has two gods, sorry, to a man that has one world, this one, and two gods, or many gods, this toy will work. But to a man that has two worlds and one god, your toy is useless. What's it all about? What's our purpose? What's a two, what's a two world? This world and the world to come. I'm going to read it now and I'm going to read what you wrote. I find the notion that my basic nature, both positive and negative traits, is God's business to be very liberating. I can control how I react to various things in my life, but I can be aware of where it's coming from. But in the end, one can stop wasting time trying to ignore or push away some of the basic negative traits one doesn't like and instead focus on how one reacts to it when those traits pop up. That we can control. And how we react when it happens again is something that is our business and something we can continuously work on instead of trying to change our very basic nature. Thanks, Alan, that's fantastic. I think with that, maybe we'll go to our, uh, with, with Alan's uh, little reflection. I'd love to go into, uh, anyone wants to give a reflection. What are you taking away from tonight? Choice. Choice. What's your takeaway? What are you taking home? I'll speak. Yeah. Um, I was really struck by when you said, I just want to go back in my notes. Um, well, I was, I was trying to make sense of what you were talking about, about depression um and fighting depression with depression fighting frustration with frustration and everything being for the good but i was really touched when you said that in kabbalah a broken heart and a crushed heart is for the good because that's when um and correct me if i misunderstood this that's when it allows uh, a heart to shine and it allows us to become the person that we want us to be. Absolutely. There's nothing greater than a broken heart and a crushed heart. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So that was a big takeaway for me tonight. Thank you. That really touched me. I needed to hear it. Yeah, thank you. Any other takeaways? And and just also using depression against itself to avoid it doesn't work. Using depression against itself. Yeah. 
Okay, I'm gonna mute. <laughs> service to others. Service to others. Be of service to others. It's great. Yeah. And perspective and purpose. Purpose. To ask myself, what am I needed for rather than what I need? Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful. Anyone else? My business, not your business, and God's business. I think those are really So my business, none of my business, and God's business. That's what Perry says. Mm -hmm. So, well, we kind of lost everything in life. So, but God's Yes. Exactly. Thank you all for joining us tonight. Thank you. For being here. Just the fact that we're here, whether in spirit or in spirits, physically, emotionally, to be able to be connected through technology or in person gives us the ability. And the most important thing is stay positive. Yeah. Stay positive. We have the and what, world needs our prayers, and the world needs our positivity today more than ever before. Absolutely. We're getting enough of the fear mongering. Our job is to stay positive. Yeah, but everybody yeah. needs to go wash their hands. Yes, absolutely. I'm not taking away from what I'm not the doctor. Not taking away from what the doctor said. That, that's my hand. business. <laughs> that is my business. Wash our hands. Social distancing, all these things are important. Whatever the yeah. doctor says, I'm not a doctor, but as a rabbi, yeah. my job is to remind you, stay positive. Good attitude. Until until next time. Thank you. Have a good night, all. Good night. Thanks, Rabbi. Have a good night. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Thank you.